have a Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your order of worship, the passage we're looking at, verses uh, 8 to 23. I try to ask God to um, help me finish my outline on, by Friday morning every week, and often he cooperates. Sometimes he has other plans. So the outline you have in front of you is slightly different than the one that I'm going to be using. Um, there's going to be four words to the outline, and the four words are creation, gladness, miracles, and trouble. Okay? That's the outline we're using. That's the outline God moved me towards over the weekend, okay? So it's creation, gladness, miracles, and trouble. What do those have in common? You'll have to pay attention to find out. So um, Acts 13 and 14 basically describe... Uh, Paul's first, what, we, what people know as Paul's first missionary journey. If you remember, last week I talked about how the focus in Acts shifts from Jerusalem up to Antioch, this city where this church is growing, and Paul and Barnabas are part of the leadership there. They decide to send Paul and Barnabas out to share Jesus with the, with the world. And so Paul and Barnabas travel uh, to Cyprus first, the island of Cyprus, and they share the gospel there. And then, and then they head north into what is today Turkey, and they go to some different cities there. They go to, they go to a city called Perga. Then they go to a, just to make things complicated, they go to another city called Antioch, a different Antioch. And, uh, and then they, they go from there to Iconium. That's in chapter 13. And, um, and in each of those places, they go first to the synagogues and they, and they tell the, the Jews about, about Jesus and then they go and tell everybody else. But, but, but a lot of the Jews don't believe and they make life as hard as they can for Paul and Barnabas. They persecute. They actually stir up the city often and persecute uh, Paul and Barnabas. And even in, uh, in Iconium, there's a plan to stone him and so he kind of moves on every time. And so now he comes to the city of Lystra. Okay? And in Lystra, there's not as much of a Jewish um, community there, so it doesn't talk about them going to, to the synagogue. It's probably the most Gentile city that he's gone to so far, non-Jewish city. And this is what happens next. So listen to God's word as I read from Acts 14, verses 8 to 23. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, who was whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the generations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews 
came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them from every, in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Let's pray. Father, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Father, we pray that you would take your word this morning as we look at it and that your spirit would open our eyes to see your truth clearly, to be changed by your truth. Father, we thank you for being a God who speaks. Father, we pray that you would help us to listen to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is a story uh, about a couple out in a restaurant in Ireland. I think it might be kind of a legend. It might not be true. But uh, here's the story. This couple's out at a restaurant. And uh, across the restaurant, they see Bono sitting, having dinner with a friend of his. And they're very excited because these, these people are U2 fans. Bono's the lead singer of U2, if you don't know who he is. Um, and, uh, and so they, they just can't believe it, that they're like in this close proximity to this famous person, to Bono, and they're like, I can't believe it. They see, and, and he gets up and, and he goes to the bathroom at one point during dinner, and so the husband goes over and he, he talks to the, the friend of Bono. He's like, I, I don't want to bother him, but do you think he'd mind like taking a picture with us? And, and Bono's friend was like, he's a really great guy. I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't mind at all. You know, why don't you, I'll, when, when he comes back, I'll call you over. And, uh, and we can take a picture. So, so they go back and sit down. Bono comes back out, sits down at the table, and his friend calls them over, and, uh, and they, um, and, and they you know, shake his hands. We're, we're, we're big fans and everything. And the, the friend takes the picture of them with Bono, and then they go sit back down. And they're, they're just delighted with themselves. They're over the moon. They can't believe that they've just got a picture with, with one of their heroes, with Bono. You know? and, and eventually, um, Bono and his friend uh, finish their meal, and they leave. And then the couple's dinner comes to an end, and uh, he asks the waiter for the bill. And the waiter says, oh, don't worry about it. It's already been paid for by Bruce Springsteen, who was sitting with Bono over there. <laughs> and they're like, that was Bruce Springsteen? But you know, all the clues that were there, like who else would Bono be having dinner with than another famous person? They talked to him. They heard his like gravelly voice. You know, like how, how did they not recognize Bruce Springsteen sitting there? asking him to take a picture of them with Bono. They couldn't believe it. So in in this chapter, we have a city full of people who, after witnessing a miracle happen, they mistake Paul and Barnabas for these Greek gods, right? For Hermes and Zeus. And it's kind of understandable, actually, if you, after reading some of the commentaries, they point out how in that area, there was a legend that Zeus and Hermes had once come to that location, to that area. And nobody recognized them except for one couple. And as a result, everybody was washed away in a flood because they failed to recognize Zeus and Hermes. 
And so they, you know, they like, this phrase isn't really used this way, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I'm not going to be fooled again. This, if, if, you know, if I see Zeus and Hermes, I'm going to recognize it. And so they make this huge deal about, they see this miracle happen. Who else could it be but Zeus and Hermes? And they start trying to worship them and bring sacrifices to them. And it's all so ironic, isn't it? Because in making sure they recognize Zeus and Hermes, they are completely failing to recognize the fact that God, the living God, is there. Right? And the thing is, God is present by his messengers, and he wants to give them good news. He wants to give them good news through Paul and Barnabas, that they can know him, that they can experience life, real life, that they can experience peace and joy, that they can come to understand what life is really supposed to be about. And, and God wants them to, to turn from this, this, these vain superstitions, worshiping Zeus, Hermes, other things, and, and just God's inviting them to trust him, to turn to him, to take hold of him. And yet they, they, they don't respond. They, they end up, they miss out. They don't recognize the living God and they end up dragging Paul out of the city after stoning him, right? It's crazy how they fail to recognize the living God. And, and this is the thing. I think he's, he's calling each and every one of us, God, the living God is calling each and every one of us to recognize him in our daily lives, to recognize that he is inviting us to believe the good news, to listen to the good news. That we can turn to him and experience real peace and joy. That we can turn to him and know that he loves us in spite of the fact that we have been worshiping other things, in spite of the fact that we are, are sinners through and through. He wants to, us to hear the good news and believe it, that that if we will trust him, then we can know that we are his children, that he's on our side. No matter what is going on in life, no matter how scary life might be, and no matter whether you have, have been a Christian your entire life or for a very long time, or you're sitting here and you're, you're not sure if you even call yourself a Christian today, no matter where you are on that journey, God wants you today to believe the good news because we all have trouble believing it. We all have trouble believing that God is present and that he loves us, and that he's working for our good, that he's with us. And, and in this passage, one of the things that Paul says is that is, as he's talking to the, the people in Lystra, he says that God hasn't left himself without witness. He's, he's given people throughout history clues to recognize him and to invite them to believe in his goodness and to respond to his goodness and to, to hear the good news. He's left us clues. And that's what these four words refer to, okay? Creation, gladness, miracles, and trouble. I see these four things in this passage as clues that God gives us to point us to, to, to recognize his presence and to hear the good news of the gospel, the good news of his love for us. So what are the four clues? The first clue is, is creation, in verse 15, Paul points out to the people of Lystra that, that the living God 
is the one who made everything, right? The heavens, the earth, the sea, all that is in them. So, number one, if you guys just look out the window, you see clues that God has given you to know that that he has made everything, that he has created everything, and he's inviting you to respond to him. Actually, you don't even have to look out the window. You can look at me, sadly. You can look at one another. I shouldn't say sadly, because God has made us in his image, right? He has created each and every one of us. As you look at the back of the head in front of you, that is a clue to recognize that God is real, that God is present, and that God is inviting you to believe in the good news that he is good and that he wants you to trust him. That's all of creation beckons us to recognize that that there is a creator who invites us to respond to him and know him and trust him. Um, I'm not really intelligent enough to to give you like the the full explanation of of the the philosophy of intelligent design, which is basically, you know, in, in the face of people who believe that we exist simply because of random things coming together, right? that everything exists because of this, this evolution out of, out of nothing, out of, out of things like randomly coming together at just the right time, and now all of a sudden we are here, right? But, but intelligent design kind of goes against that. I, I would, it doesn't, doesn't kind of, totally goes against that. That, that. As we look at the universe and as we look at the way that things are, are put together, that it, it, it invites us, it, it, it beckons us to recognize that, that somebody greater, somebody bigger has, has made that happen. We have to recognize that. In a very simple way, this is how I can dumb it down for myself, my, my wife and I were on a hike uh, in the last year or two. We were walking through the woods, and as we were walking through the woods, you know what we saw? We saw a stack of rocks, four or five rocks. You know how sometimes you, you'll see a stack of, like somebody, well, I shouldn't say somebody, there's a, a stack of four or five rocks in a, in, a, in a kind of a column, a totem, right? As we walk by this, I look at that, and I don't assume, I don't be like, isn't that amazing how, I don't know, animals walked by and kicked it randomly, and they just ended up like that? Like, you see that, and you assume that somebody put it there. You assume that somebody put it there. This simple stack of five rocks how much more obvious should it be to us as we look at one another, the complexity of who we are, to recognize that somebody put us here? That should be our assumption, that there is a creator, and he invites us to respond to him. So so one of the things, as you live your life, as you look at the things out in nature, as you look at people around you, God is inviting you to believe the good news, that he is present, that he is good. He wants you to trust him. So the first thing is creation. The second thing is gladness. This is actually the thing that Paul specifically says is a witness to God in in verse 17. He says, Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Paul is pointing out that even though the people of Lystra haven't realized it, everything that they have that is good, the fact that they've been able to enjoy good meals, the fact that they've been able to plant and see things grow and harvest it, 
everything that has brought them satisfaction and gladness has actually been a gift from God to them. They might not have recognized that. They might not have thanked God for it. But every single thing that is good, everything that has brought them gladness, has been given to them by God as a clue to invite them to respond to him, to believe that he is good, and to trust him. And so that's, I, I think that's entirely true for us as we look at our lives. Anything in your life that, that brings you joy, brings you gladness, is, is something that God wants to use to, to remind you of the ultimate good of him, that he has given it to you to enjoy but not in and of itself, to, to remind you that, that he is the one who wants to satisfy your hearts with goodness. Everything that, that brings you gladness, as I think about my life, you know, I, I love to eat ice cream, no matter how bad it is for me. I'll eat a chocolate shake every night if I can. And, and when I drink that chocolate shake, I mean, just the, what happens with my taste buds is just, ah! That's an invitation from God for me to know how great he is, how good he is. When we watch a great movie, read a good book, enjoy a piece of music, and it brings us gladness, God is saying, believe the good news that I love you. Believe in me. When we have a great conversation as we sit down with a friend, spend time with family, and it brings us gladness, that is God saying, believe in me. I'm giving that to you as we exercise, as we watch maybe a sporting event and, and, and feel any kind of physical pleasure, that's, that's God saying, believe in me. Believe in my goodness. Believe that I love you and trust me. Everything that bring, brings us gladness is a clue. It's a clue saying, I am here. God is here. And I want you to trust me. I want you to believe the good news. I want you to turn away from the things that you're kind of resting in and trusting in and trust in me instead. The third is miracles, and this is kind of the obvious one, right? This is the thing that kicks off the whole passage where this guy who can't walk at all, Paul sees him, and he says, stand up. The guy springs up. He doesn't just, like, struggle to his feet. He springs up. It's an obvious miracle. This guy's never been able to walk, and the people recognize it. They recognize that something supernatural has happened. They, they recognize that, that this is something that is not made from man, that it doesn't have the source of man. This is something that has come from somewhere else. This is a power from somewhere else. And so immediately, they, you know, in their vocabulary, they think, oh, it's got to be Zeus. It's got to be Zeus and Hermes who have done this. They recognize something happening that, that there is no human explanation for. And so immediately, they recognize that, that it's something, that, that there is a God here who is doing it. But the problem is they, they, they attribute it all to the wrong God, right? And again, they miss out on recognizing that, that this miracle in and of itself is actually something that God is saying, I can work powerfully in your life. Trust me. I am sovereign over all things, over all nature, over your bodies. I can work. Trust me. So this is one, I mean, for, for us, it's, it's obvious. You know, when, when we... Some of us probably, maybe, I don't know how many of us have seen a miracle happen. For, for us, you know, we think of miracles as you know, somebody who's got cancer suddenly going and having a scan and it's gone. 
Some of us have friends who've experienced that, and, and, and we see something like that happen, and, and, and we're like, oh man, that, that's, that's, that's got to be God, right? And it's encouraging to hear stories of miracles happening like that, physical miracles happening like that. A lot of us are like, man, why can't God do more of those? But then again, I think it's important for us to look at verse 9, look at verse 9, and see what, I think Paul, Luke is actually communicating and what even happens here. Certainly there's a physical miracle, but, but Paul says, it says, this guy listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him, and seeing that he had faith to be made well. Paul recognized something in him, that he had faith to be made well. If you have a Bible, there's a footnote right there. And the footnote says, basically, that you can also translate this, that he had faith to be saved. See, Luke is doing this often. He uses this word, this Greek word, sozo, which can be translated for, for being made healthy, being made well physically, but it also, he uses it to, tra- to translate being saved spiritually, being made healthy spiritually. And so there's, there's this kind of like ambiguity here. As, as Paul looks at this guy, this guy who's crippled, he says, this guy has faith to be saved, to be made whole in every way possible. And my point is this, okay? We tend to think of miracles as these physical things that happen, and they are. But we also need to recognize that God is in the business of, of doing all sorts of spiritual miracles all the time, the people that are sitting here today, those of us who have come to know God, that is a miracle. Apart from him raising us up in our hearts to know him, opening our eyes to see that he is good and that he is trustworthy, seeing that Jesus is enough, that is a miracle. When somebody is changed to become more patient, to become more kind and loving and gentle. That is a miracle. And so there, there are a lot more miracles happening all around us that, that we don't even notice because we just want God to do the big, physical, obvious things. We need to, to be on the watch for the miracles that God's doing in our own hearts as he changes us, as he makes me just a little less selfish, a little less angry, a little less cynical. We need to look for the miracles that he's doing around us. And, and those are clues that he gives us in the way that he's working in us to change us and grow us. The last clue that uh, urges us to recognize God's presence and his goodness and his invitation to believe is trouble. This is a tough one. Paul tries to get the people to believe, and then what happens? The, the Jews, they, they, aren't, they aren't content to just stay in Iconium and in Antioch. They, they chase Paul down. They follow him to Lystra, to another town, in order to make things hard for him. And they stir up the crowd, and they end up stoning him. They end up throwing rocks at him, bloodying him, maybe breaking bones, um, hurting him to the point that they thought he was dead. They thought he was dead. Um, I, I'm not sure if, if it looks like it's a miracle to me when the disciples gather around him and, and all of a sudden he just gets up again. Um, but, but in spite of the fact that he's just been attacked and pelted with rocks and left for dead, what does he do? He rises up and he goes right back into the city. 
That's insane. He's crazy. What? He just goes right back into the city that just tried to kill him. And then they go from there to Derby. But then what do they do after they're in Derby and they, and they tell those people about Jesus? They come back to Lystra, the city that tried to kill him. And then they go back to Iconium, the city that was planning to stone him. And then they go back to Antioch, another city that was trying to persecute him. He, the, the, the fact that there is trouble facing him everywhere he goes, he, he, that doesn't stop him at all. He just goes from one place to another expecting trouble. It doesn't cause him to go somewhere else. And why can he do that? Why does he have such great courage to be able to do that? Why does he do that at all? Well, I think it has to do, for certain, for certain with, with what he's teaching the people in verse 22, as he goes from church to church. What is he doing? It says he's strengthening the souls of the disciples. He's encouraging them to continue in the faith. And then what is he saying to them? That through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. That's his message to all the people as he goes back. I don't know if he still has bruises on his face. I don't know if he's walking with a limp. I don't know if he can't really use one of his arms or what, but he's telling them, guys, through many tribulations, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. The, the road to the kingdom of God includes trouble. It includes pain. It includes potentially stoning and suffering. The road to the kingdom of God, the road that God is on with us to the kingdom of God includes tribulation. It's, it's something that we must expect. If nothing is going wrong in your life, that is when you need to question if God is around. If nothing is happening. Because Paul says... Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Trouble is something we must expect and even count on. Pain, suffering, difficulty. And, and I think all that goes to say that, that when we encounter trouble in our lives, that is just one more clue that God is here. He's present as we're walking with him to the kingdom of God. As we experience trouble, God is saying, I'm here, trust me, believe in me, believe the good news. Turn from the stuff that you might be tempted to turn to as you deal with your trouble, as you deal with your pain, and turn to me, the living God. I can take care of you, I can give you strength. I will love you. And so whether it is physical problems and trouble that you are facing, whether it is relational and you feel completely alone and isolated, or, you, or, or you've, you've felt abandoned and rejected by people, or you're dealing with, with just incredible loneliness and anxiety, let those things remind you, be clues to you that God is here. It doesn't mean that he's gone. It doesn't mean he's abandoned you. It means that he's inviting you to believe the good news, to listen to the good news, that he loves you, and he's going to be with you. So um, God gives us these clues as you look at this chapter, as you look at this passage, these four clues, creation, gladness, miracles, trouble. 
Thankfully, God knows that we're not good enough detective to just work it out from all the clues. He actually gives us himself. Come down. What do the people say when they see the miracle happen? They say, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And then, so quickly, they turn from that idea and they start chucking rocks. You know, God has come down in the likeness of men. In Jesus Christ. God's like, you know, I'm going to give you clues, but, but just, so you make sure, just so I make sure you get the message, I'm going to give you my son. And he's going to come down. And he's going to live a life of love and beauty and obedience. And, and it's, it's so similar what happens here to Paul, right? That, that what happened to Jesus. As Jesus walks in or rides into Jerusalem the week before he dies and everybody's praising him. And then just shortly thereafter, they're saying, let's kill him. Let's kill him. We're not going to throw rocks. Let's just drive nails through his, through his wrists and hang him on a cross and kill him. Jesus did that so that we would know that God is with us, that he loves us, so that we would believe the good news, that, that we don't have to live lives separated from him. We can know that he is with us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our stress and anxiety. We can know that he is good. So let's trust him together. Let's listen to the good news together. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to recognize these clues that you give us in our lives to see that you have, you're present and that you're good and that you love us. We pray that you would help us to see Jesus, that he is the ultimate witness in giving his life to pay for our sin and in rising from the dead. Father, we pray that you would help us to rest in Jesus and in Jesus alone. We pray that you would help us to turn from the things that we are so tempted to, to rely on and trust in in our lives and to cling to Jesus alone, the one who has conquered death. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we approach the Lord's table, let's take a moment to confess our sin, our need for God's grace and forgiveness with the prayer that's printed in your order of worship. We'll pray this out loud together and then we'll have a silent time of confession. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, eternal God over all, I have turned away from you and put my hope in the things of this world. Instead of trusting in you, I have trusted in these other things to give me happiness, significance, and security. Please forgive me. Help me to know that all earthly things are shadows but that you are substance. All earthly things are quicksand, but you are a mountain. All earthly things are shifting, but you are an anchor. All earthly things are ignorance, but you are wisdom. In your grace, take away my mourning and give me music. Still my sighs and fill my mouth with a song. Take away my sorrow and give me the joy of being a Christian. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Father, we now take a moment to silently confess our individual sins to you now.
Father, we do pray that you would help us to recognize you this morning here. Um, it seems kind of foolish to, to ask that you would help us to recognize you here at your table, but we do need your help. We need your spirit to see that you are sufficient for us, to see that the sacrifice of your son is enough. And uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to believe the good news. We pray this all in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Romans 8, 1-2 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have an opportunity now to, um, in, a, in, a, in a symbolic way, turn from the things that we are leaning on to hold us up and instead turn to Jesus as the only one who can hold us up. As we eat and as we drink these elements, remember that Jesus and Jesus alone is the living God. And he alone can save you, give you peace, give you joy. If you're here this morning and, and, you, and you know this, even just a little bit, you know this, then this meal is for you. If you're here this morning and, and you're, you're not sure, you have uh, come to a place where you have trusted in Jesus, that, that, you, that you need his sacrifice for you to, to provide a way for you to, to be reconciled to God, if you're not sure you even need to be reconciled to God, um, I would encourage you to let the elements pass. This meal is for those who know that they have uh, been running from God, uh, that they have sinned against God, and they need God's forgiveness, and it is here. So I'd encourage you to let the elements pass if you're not at that place. Um, I'd also ask the, any kids who have not gone through the communicants class and met with the elders to let the elements pass as well. Listen to the words of institution from Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We have an opportunity now to remember what God has done for us in the past, that uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus truly, really lived and died on a cross, and that actually accomplished something. It's because of Jesus' death and his resurrection that we can come before God and know that he has forgiven us. It's an opportunity now to, to say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to sustain me. Feed me. Feed my faith so that I will believe the good news today anew. It's an opportunity to look to the future, to the fact that Jesus is coming back, and we will celebrate, we will celebrate in a way that we can't even imagine it's going to be so good. If the ushers could come forward, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would now take these, uh, these common elements and that you would use them to strengthen our faith, to help us to see that you alone are enough for us to help us believe the good news, to help us believe that you are here with us, to help us believe that you love us and that you're working in everything for our good, to help us to, to live lives that are courageous in the face of trouble. Father, we pray that you would use these elements to strengthen us as your people. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. He gave it to his disciples and he said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Doing this in remembrance of me. I would ask that you would hold on to the elements till everyone has been served and we'll all partake together. The body of Christ broken for you that you might be made whole. Take and eat. In the same way Jesus took the cup after supper and after giving thanks, he offered it to his disciples and he said, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins.
the blood of Christ shed for you that you might be saved. Take and drink. Father, we thank you for inviting us to your table. To sit at the table with you and know that we are um, part of your family. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would help us to recognize your beauty, your power, your love. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, please stand with us.
Savior, the one who came, lived, and died, and became resurrected for us, one who conquered the grave for us, so that we no longer have to fear death, God. You have secured us for eternity back into your arms. You are our God, and we are your people. You are our Father, and we are your sons and daughters, God. Let us never forget that beautiful truth that you have saved us and you have brought us back to you. Let's give you all the praise, all the honor and glory for the only one worthy of it. Amen. Amen. Um, just a, a few announcements. If you could go through the slides with me, Logan. Uh, the Easter egg hunt is coming up on April 4th and not a whole lot of people have signed up. We need your help. And, and this is something significant. It's important. Uh, it is one of the things that we are doing to try to reach out to our community and to share the living God with them. We need your help. So please stop by on the wall in the foyer. There's a sign-up sheet and uh, sign up to help out that day. Uh, next slide, Logan. Um, fasting and prayer. We're going to keep trying to fast um, if you're up for it on Mondays um, from dinner tonight till dinner tomorrow or however you're up for doing it. Um, and we're still going to pray on Mondays here at 12 o'clock and at 5.30. You don't have to fast to join us to pray, okay? So whether you're fasting or not, um, please join us. It's just a half an hour we're going to meet and pray together and pray for the church, pray for um, God's work among us. I'd encourage you to join us for that. Next one, um, the college care packages. This is the last day that we're going to have for you to have an opportunity to sign the cards for the college students. If you want to bring anything and donate anything, they're going to put the things together on Tuesday night. So if you, if you want to bring something later today or tomorrow or Tuesday and drop it by the church, um, they'll be putting those things together. Um, but uh, make sure you stop by there and sign the cards for the students. And um, Hope Church softball team, uh, there's going to be a softball team as we've done the last couple years probably, depending on if we have enough people. The, um, we need to sign up by the 16th. So if you want to play, if you can play, see Chuck and, uh, and let him know you're interested so we can know if we can have a team. All right? Um, last thing, or almost last thing, the prayer team is Linda Westenberger. She will be right up here in this corner. If you have anybody, if you have anything you'd like her to pray for, don't hesitate to come up, and she would be happy to pray for you. And Kate has got one quick announcement as well. Thank you, Kate. Hear now the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Now go forth, remembering that God's love is real, that you might risk everything for him and for others.